Okay, so we'd like to welcome you to our weekly Bible and current events study for 72907. And today, this is part one, and today we're going to continue with a series that we started a couple weeks back regarding the uh, Catholics. And each week we're keen on a different aspect of abomination that the Catholic religion is setting forth or operating in, and this particular week we're going to talk about the sexual abuse claims that have surfaced in recent years, and have really been around since antiquity. This first article is from Battle Cry, which is what Chick Publications puts out, the, the uh, track company, and their their website is like www.chick.com. They have a lot of very good resources, they have a lot of stuff on the Catholics. You can actually go up there and do keyword searches on their site. And they've got numerous pieces of documentation up there to uh, back up what they're saying. And a lot of books and things like that that you can order. This article starts out, Catholic sexual abuse claims exceed 1.5 billion. Okay, now the Bible says, by their fruit you shall know them. Well, this is a fruit of the Catholic Church. Not only is Catholicism absolutely and totally steeped in false religion, paganism, idolatry, but the pedophile priest, homosexual priest issue is something that has been around ever since that they told priests they had to be celibate. I mean, it was, it was something that the, the Bible never commanded. Uh, as close as you can get to it, the Bible says if you can... You know, if you can forbear not being married, you know, that's almost a gift that's given to a few. But it's not something that's just doled out to every man. And what they're, they're putting a burden on their so, supposed false clergy that's too great to bear. And this is the fruit of that. Not only that, when you become, when you go into the Catholic religion, you're opening yourself up to all kind of demonic evil influences from the spirits that operate and emanate through that corrupt, abominable cult. And those spirits will affect you. So you have kind of this dual thing going on that's uh, affecting not only the priests, but the nuns and everybody really within that organization. We're going to talk about this today. This article goes on to say, in December of last year, the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, California, settled, a 40, settled 45 cases of sexual abuse by its priests for a total of $440 million. It still faces another 485 sex abuse cases that will likely cost hundreds of millions of dollars. The Archdiocese is preparing to sell off some of its estimated $4 billion worth of real estate to pay for the claims. If this was of God, this religion, why would this be happening? Why would this? We're going to really take a good hard look at this this day. Um, if you'd like to know more information about the vast wealth of the Roman Catholic Church, Chick Publications has a um, uh, a book called Smoke Screens, and in that book, if you go to chapter ten, you can learn all about their vast. There's also another book called The Vatican's Billions. It's another one that you can check out. Uh, there's several goes on to say a 2000 report by the U.S. Catholic Church said that 10,667 people have accused 4,392 priests with sexual abuse. Costs to settle cases currently exceed $1.5 billion, 
with thousands of cases yet pending. This is unbelievable. I mean, it, this is incomprehensible. But this is what goes on. And I think this needs to be exposed to the fullest extent because, as we've said before, this cult is responsible for the murders of a conservative 60 to 70 million people during the Inquisition years alone. Not only that, all of the, the souls that have been have plunged into hell and then, then ultimately into the lake of fire because they have been brought up either what they term as a good Catholic. And these people found out probably the minute that they died, as they plunged into hell, that being a good Catholic got them nothing but hell. And then the lake of fire. So really, that's the biggest travesty. We could talk about the sexual abuse claims, and that's a terrible thing. But compare that to the lake of fire. And that's what we're really looking at here. We're looking at a cult whose main goal, through Satan, is to take as many people to hell, then to the lake of fire, to burn forever for eternity... And that's the goal. This article goes on to say, Catholic authorities have largely succeeded in labeling the offending priests as pedophiles. However, most of the victims have not been young children, but boys in their mid to late teens. See, they want to they label this, this group of priests as pedophiles, so, they, so what it does is it kind of makes it seem like there's this really separate, ostracized group of Catholic priests that are pedophiles. But the reality is, is they're homosexuals. And the reality is, if you do the math, the vast majority of pedophiles, or at least a totally disproportionate majority of pedophiles, which would be like a man, particularly a man usually, that wants to have sex with um, like a young child, that's what they would label as a pedophile. But the vast majority, uh, a, a very undisproportionate majority of the pedophiles, I think it's around 30 to 35 percent are homosexual as well. That's very disproportionate, considering the fact that the, um, according statistically speaking, about two to three percent of the population is homosexual. But out of that two to three percent, they make up about 35 percent of the pedophiles, and that's what we know about. There, it may be a higher percentage. So, it just goes to show you that you know there's there's a, there's a demonic component to the homosexuality. And um, that's something that, that a lot of times is never, ever addressed. It's, and it's never addressed in secular circles. It's just, no, we, we were born this way. And it's a spiritual problem, is what it is. So this goes on to say, For years before the scandal broke in the media, stories would surface from time to time of a homosexual subculture in the Roman Catholic priesthood and seminaries. A study of the patterns of male homosexual activities indicates that their favorite, favorite target is the freshness of teen boys. Mm. And they are less likely to be carrying AIDS or other sexually transmitted diseases. Thus, it appears that the sexual abuse epidemic in the Catholic priesthood is more about homosexuality than pedophilia. Because I think we should just, you know, label them, you know, we need to, we need to keep the two together in this particular case. Jesus said that the Pharisees, to the Pharisees that they had made the word of God of none effect through their tradition. See Matthew 15. This accusation also seems to stick on the Roman Catholicism. The word of God stipulates that leadership in the church should be given to men who are the husband of one wife. The Bible also says that in the last days there would be a spirit of Antichrist that would forbid marriage. See, that's, that's a biblical qualification as a pastor or a deacon. Okay, now I know they call themselves priests, whatever. If, if, you're, if you're in a 
leadership ministry position like this. You're to be the husband of one wife. Well, who would that disclude? Who would that not include? All women. Sorry. Please, if you have any doubts on that, just email me. I'll give you the biblical qualifications for a pastor or deacon. It's right out of the Bible. I'm not making this stuff up. Okay, so who that would that would uh, that would rule out women, okay? And then what else would it rule out? Well, it would rule out somebody that wasn't the husband of one wife, okay? So if you're single, you really shouldn't be in a, in in a in a position as pastor or deacon or whatever else that that qualification would encompass. And it's it's straight out of the Bible. So it's not my rule book; it's God. So if you get angry over something like this. You know, and I show you the scripture. Your argument's with God. It's really not with me. You can get angry at me all you want. So the Bible also says there, that in the last days there would be a spirit of Antichrist that would forbid marriage. Ah, where does it say that? 1 Timothy 4.1 Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Then it goes on to say forbidding to marry. Then it also talks about forbidding certain, uh, really, meat. So these are things that we're seeing a lot now. In In Catholicism, that one verse alone would apply to this. Forbidding their priesthood to marry. But the Bible predicted that was the way it was going to be. Thus the popes have also made the word of God of none effect by their traditions. By forbidding their priests to marry, the Vatican has created an impossible environment of temptation for the priests. This virtually shoves them toward homosexual behavior. Well, not only that, but then there's this, there's the demonic spiritual component that happens as well, that reinforces and bolsters that uh, temptation, I guess you'd say. I, I don't view homosexuality personally as a temptation. <laughs> I don't understand it. It doesn't compute in my brain at all. Uh, and I don't think, I'm not saying that because I think I'm better. I, I just can't even comprehend it. How a guy could be attracted to another guy. It just doesn't... But, you know, evidently, this is the case. Now, I'm not saying that somebody that, you know, has ever had that inclination, who is now a born-again Christian, who doesn't have those inclinations anymore, I'm not condemning them, okay? I'm just saying, for me personally, I don't understand it. Okay, just as a, a personal observation... The the prohibition against marriage seems primarily intended to prevent them from having offspring with legal rights to the property of the Catholic Church. I never thought about it that way. Had you ever thought about that? I I never really thought about that way. It was a good point. Having offspring with the legal rights to the property of the Catholic Church so so they will seek sexual activity that does not produce children. Another good point that I hadn't really ever thought about. It's not a good point, but it's a... um, it's a valid point. Most of the evangelical world has accepted the lie that Roman Catholicism is just another denomination with a different worship tradition. Although they, although then when cornered, a Roman Catholic will claim they believe the Bible and salvation through the blood of Jesus. But when you look at their rituals and dogma, most of their attention goes to Mary and their, quote, Jesus is perpetually re-sacrificed as the way for God that they eat in their Mass. And we talked about that last week in the Eucharist um, teaching. So if you want to know more about that, listen to our last week's uh, teaching on the Eucharist. 
then it goes on to say they are forbidden to believe that they can know that they have eternal life. These traditions cancel their teachings of Scripture, making them of none effect. Soul winners must not be deceived by those who claim that Roman Catholics are saved and don't need to be a witness to them. There's a lot of Roman Catholics out there that say, well, I'm saved and I'm just staying in the church because I want to be salt and light to the church. I'm sorry, if you stay in that church, I have a very hard time believing that you're saved. How could you, how could you be involved in the largest cult on the planet and stay in that and still be pleasing God? I mean, if you did try to stay in it and you really were saved, he'd make you so miserable, I believe eventually you'd have to come out of that thing. If you're, if you're content within a Roman Catholic church and just saying, well, I'm just going to gut it out, I know there's a lot of things that I don't agree with, you've got to understand, you're involved in the largest cult, on the, on, the largest pseudo-Christian cult on the planet. You're involved in the great whore of revelation that most likely all of the other religions of the world that are going to come underneath. What you're doing right now is an abomination in the sight of God. And most likely you're not even saved. I don't see how you could be. The Bible says, by their fruit you shall know them. The Bible also says, whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. And if you be without chastisement, you're bastards. So if you're in the Catholic Church and you call yourself a born-again Christian and God's not all over you, as a father would spank his child, the Lord's chastening. And there's no chastisement on your life whatsoever. I, I, that's an that's indication that you are not saved. Oh, now you're judging. Yeah, I am judging. The Bible says, He who is spiritual judgeth all things. I get a lot of emails, not a lot, because the vast majority of feedback that I get is positive. But about one out of every 15, maybe, I get somebody railing on me about how I'm judging and this and that, and how I'm so full of pride and all these other things. And I just, you know, one of the, one of the things I, I like to tell these people is that, and I believe this, and I truly do, number one, if I got what I deserved, as Scott Johnson, I would get hell, and I would get the lake of fire for eternity. I'm not judging anybody or holding them to a higher accountability than I would hold myself. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Galatians 4.16 but see, these people don't want the truth most of the time. They want to believe whatever their potentate or whoever told them, or whatever they perceive truth to be, and they want to stay in that. And so the messenger gets attacked. But that's no, you know, if you're going to put out truth in today's day and age, that's what's going to happen. The watchman, which is what I believe if I have any calling, it's that. A watchman's job is to put out the warnings and to put out the truth. So that when the sword comes, the people aren't taken unaware. Okay, if I don't do that, in the calling that I believe God called me to, their blood will be on my hands, according to Ezekiel 3 and Ezekiel 33. And this is, uh, I genuinely do want to put out the truth, but there's also a warning. I mean, the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. So I have a, I have a responsibility, knowing these things, to put it out, and the vast majority of what I put out would make a lot of people just hate my guts. Oh well, my life is not a popularity contest. You know, um, we're supposed to, you know, look at the apostles and Jesus as, as examples, and they all ended up dying essentially a martyrdom's death. You know, save John on the Isle of Patmos, but I would say that was pretty much a martyr's death too. I mean, in a way. So this is just, you know, what you're going to face when you when you try to put out this type of truth. 
But really, this type of truth is just confirmatory of what the Bible says was going to happen during the end times. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 2 Timothy 3.13 We know that there's going to be wolves in sheep's clothing. There's going to be the, the vast majority of priests and pastors and all these other guys are going to be hirelings with no true love for the flock. We know that, that Satan is going to come as a minister, as an angel of light, and his ministers are going to be transformed into seemingly ministers of righteousness. We know all this is going to take place. This is just the way it's going to be. The seducing spirits and doctrines of devils that we just talked about in 1 Timothy 4.1, it's all confirmatory to Scripture. And so, it's not something that I get upset about, it's just something that really makes the Bible come alive. So, going back to this article, it says, Soul winners must not be deceived by those that claim that Roman Catholics are saved and don't need to witness to them. These precious souls are in bondage to a prostitute church, the whore of, the Babylon, the whore of Babylon of Revelation 17 and 18. They need to know the freedom of the truth of salvation by faith alone and that they must follow the instruction of Revelation 18.4 to come out of her. Now, most of them aren't. We know that. Uh, It'd be nice if they would, but they're not, because the Bible says narrow is the way which leadeth to life eternal, and few there be that find it. And I'm not saying that because I think I'm better. As I said before, you know, if I got what I deserved, I'd get hell. But this is why it's so important what truth you're embracing. Because, the, because Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then... Are you my disciples indeed? And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What does that imply? That implies that getting in the Bible, the right Bible, the King James Bible, and that truth is what sets us free. And I believe, you know, if the Lord shows you this truth in the Bible, He's also going to show you truth in other areas of your life. He's not going to just deceive you in, in the other areas. And by reading the Bible, you're sanctifying yourself. How do I know that? Because the Bible says, Thy word is truth. Sanctify me through thy truth. And then it says, Thy word is truth. So how do we get sanctified? Well, what does that word mean? It means to be made holy and set apart. So we're sanctified by reading the word of God. That means to be made holy and set apart. We, we get, um, through that precepts, shall I get understanding? The Bible says that in, in Psalms 119. These types of things. Um, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. That's Psalm 119 verse 9. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119, verse 11. So, this is how we gain understanding. This is how we gain wisdom. This is how we also gain um, protection from the Lord. This is how we're sanctified. This is how we're not deceived by reading the word of God. It's that important. It's that important. Well, the Bible says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Proverbs 11, verse 3. Well, isn't the word of God our foundation? Well, it's very important. Now, if you have any doubts about the King James Word being the true word of God, you might want to listen to our second part of the, uh, of the message today. And uh, we're going to go into that further. And I also have a Word document that I can email you, or, or an email I can forward you, which gets into most of the facets of this of this particular subject, and it's, and it's very, very important. That, that's one of the foundational keys 
for us not being deceived, is what Bible are we reading? So as we, as we go further into this, and just so, because we're on the Catholic subject, the Catholics do not use a King James Bible, they use an American Standard Version, which is just one of the many perversions that spawned itself from the revised version of Westcott and Hort in 1881, which then, which was thus derived from the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus documents, the, the two Catholic documents that disagreed over and over and over. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in the second part here. Um, but those were Catholic documents that where we got the revised version and from that spawned all the others. So again, we're talking about the Catholics today and I don't know a whole lot of good that's ever come out of the Catholic religion. Sorry. I mean, there's some people out there they're, they're pro-life, I'll say that. And a lot of times they're more rapidly pro-life than a lot of the Christians. But that's one of the few things... Uh, to be quite honest with you. You know the reason that the Catholic Church is really rapidly pro-life? It's not. I, I really don't believe it's because they're wanting to do the right thing. It's because they're wanting to try to create as large of a Catholic populist base as possible. This is what the Muslims do. See, the, there's not a lot of people clamoring to become a Muslim. But what the Muslims encourage is you have really big families. Well, eventually you're going to have a really big religion. If you have... Big families, it's just a matter of time. So it's a matter of numbers for them, not so much wanting to do the right thing. Now there was a there was an email I just got the other day from a in fact uh, I think I've heard this a couple times lately, and the email said you've got to see this new documentary. It's called Deliver Us from Evil, and it's about the Catholic pedophile priests. And I got convicted actually this teaching I'm doing right now. I just got convicted about doing this last night. I wasn't really sure what I was going to do today. And a lot of times the Lord will almost, I'll wait until the last minute sometimes to know for sure what I was going to do. I had plenty of material, just I didn't know exactly what I was going to speak on. And um, this I really got convicted about. Then I got an email yesterday of somebody saying, you got to see this, this, um, this documentary called Deliver Us From Evil. And then I saw the whole $1.5 billion payout from the Catholic Church to the pedophile priest. I said, well... This is something that we need to talk about today. So I went up online and I found this, this movie, Deliver Us From Evil, award-winning documentary about, the pedophile, about a pedophile Catholic priest. The diocese knew he was dangerous, but they allowed him to carry on for decades. That's what this is entitled. Father Oliver O'Grady was a popular priest as he moved from one parish to... Now, this is a typical example. See, don't, don't think that this is some isolated incident. This is just an example of one pedophile priest. And the reason I, I think they chose to really just key on one pedophile priest is to make it very, very real. When we talk about massive numbers and, oh, there's, there's thousands of complaints and there's th thousands of priests that have been accused, it's hard to put a face to a thousand priests. Now, maybe if you had been abused as a Catholic child, which hundreds and thousands have been, it would be easier to put a face. But most of us that haven't been brought up in Catholicism, it's harder to conceptualize this. Well, this is about a guy, a real guy, named Father Oliver O'Grady. Popular priest as he moved from one parish to another in Northern California in the 1970s. Communities and the churches took him into their hearts. Even christening him as Father Ollie. Oh, isn't that special? as he worked and lived with them in their towns. But underneath, O'Grady was hiding a deep, dark secret, a secret that was deliberately covered up by his church, and especially Cardinal Mahoney of the Los Angeles parish, and was inexplicably and unforgivably allowed to remain hidden 
See, they, they'll typically, what, they're, what they try to do with these pedophile priests is they try to protect them. Because, you know, if one guy gets taken down, it's a, it's a blot on the whole Catholic uh, religion. Winner of the Target Documentary Award for Best Documentary feature at the recent Los Angeles Film Festivals, Amy Berg uh, is quoted as saying, despite the feelings of nausea at the end of every shoot. Now, I'm not saying this lady's a, a Christian. Okay, I have no indication of that in here at all. So bear that in mind about this. But the fact is, is she's doing a good thing by exposing this. She says, despite the feeling of nausea at the end of every shoot... I knew I was doing something that would be eye-opening. My goal has always been to educate and inform. Now, I don't know. Maybe she's Christian. I don't know. But it doesn't get into that. The documentary is certain to provoke controversy, outrage, and endless debate around the world, too, because it tells the story of a dangerous, dangerously active pedophile that the church hierarchy, full, fully aware of his illness, harbored for decades, moving him from one place to another to ensure he was not exposed and effectively allowing the abuse of countless children, both boys and girls, over the decades. Now, I went up on this website last night and watched the trailer. Now, if, if you subscribe to my... Now, I would encourage people that are listening to this, there's a lot of stuff I can't cover every week, because I do this once a week, and there's a lot of breaking current events and stuff. If you really want to stay on top of the current event issues... You really need to be on my email list, because there's no way I can cover it all in one week, especially the way, the, the things that our government is doing right now. There's just no way I can cover it all. And so, if you email me, my email is on the, uh, on my website, at Sermons Audio, or it's also D-R-J-O-H-N-S-O-N, Dr. Johnson, at the letter I, the letter X, dot net com, dot com. But I will send out these sermons, and typically I'll have the supporting documentation with the sermon when I send it out via email format. I can't really do that on Sermons Audio. They only allow me to link it to one thing. And maybe someday I'll take advantage of their PDF attachment, but I just haven't really had the time to do that. So, if you have to have more documentation about anything I'm talking about, just email me, I'll get it to you. So, this goes on to say, they were fully aware of his illness, the Catholic Church. They harbored him for decades, moving him from one place to another to ensure he was not exposed and effectively allowing the abuse of countless children. So they knew this reprobate pedophile. Now, the, what does the Bible say about this? The Bible says, Jesus said it was better that a millstone were hung about your neck and you be cast in the midst of the sea than you offend one of these little ones. Well, you talk about offending a little one. Talk about having sex with a little child, defiling them, and, and then the spiritual exchange that takes place when you do that, which is hardly ever discussed. I mean, what are you doing to, to, this, to this child? Well, it says it were better than a millstone hung about your neck and you'd be cast in the midst. It would be better if that person had never been born, essentially. And this is a guy that they've been harboring, just one, for years, and... Putting him in secret, so he can, and they keep moving around because he keeps violating all these children. And the Catholic Church is knowingly do this, is knowingly doing this. Can you imagine the punishment in hell on the lake of fire? The great white throne judgment these people are going to face. I wish they could get a, con a conception of the punishment that awaits them. That 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 they would you know repent and get you know. I, if it be possible, I pray their souls be saved, but I don't see a lot of pedophiles ever get converted. I mean, I don't know, I've never heard, I've never heard the testimony of a pedophile. 
is a true born-again Christian right now. I think there comes a time and place where the Bible talks about they're, they're turned over to a reprobate mind. And if you're turned over, if your conscience has been seared with a hot iron, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their conscience seared with a hot iron, remember 1 Timothy 4.1, if your conscience seared with a hot iron, what can you do to unsear it? Things to think about. What can you do to unsear? There comes a time when you, you cross a line in the sand that God has drawn, and I don't exactly know where that is. Where the Bible even talks about, don't even pray for them. Oh, where does it say that? Well, go to Jeremiah 7, go to Jeremiah 11, and go to Jeremiah 14. Oh, well, that's the Old Testament. That doesn't apply now. Okay, well, then go to 1 John chapter 5, where it talks about the sin unto death, and it says don't pray for it. Now, again, that's a whole other study. I don't even want to go down that rabbit trail today. But the Bible does talk about this. There's, there comes a time. Now, in Jeremiah 7, and I believe Jeremiah 14, it talks about one of the things they were doing is baking cakes to the Queen of Heaven. Well, what is that? That's the exact same thing they call Mary. So, you know, I'm not 100% sure. God, this is God's business here we're talking about. I don't want to sit up here and be the judge of everything. But why not err on the side of safety? Repent and get out of that mess while you still can. Because the Holy Spirit just doesn't give you inexhaustible chances to get saved. His Spirit will not always strive with man forever. Just doesn't, you know, it just doesn't work that way. You need to get saved the first time you have the opportunity. I, to be quite honest with you, that's how I got saved. I read a book, and I clearly got presented the gospel. It was in Route to Global Occupation by Gary Kaw. And I read that, and I thought, what is not to like about this? I mean, the, the salvation, free gift, I mean, the, the, you know, accepting Jesus Christ. Well, I did, and, and, and I, that's how it was my experience. But had I said, nah, I'm going to put this off, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't have had another chance. I don't really know. But I'm glad I didn't take that chance. And that's a good example for all of us. You know, not, not to say that I want to use myself as an example. But, I mean, from that standpoint, I did get saved the first time. I clearly had the gospel presented to me. There's a lot of people that want to put it off and put it off. And a lot of those same people, you read, you read a lot of accounts about this in old times before they had drugs to drug people as they were dying. And a lot of these old time um, books that were written. And these people wanted to get saved on, saved on their deathbed. But they couldn't. They wanted to get saved weeks before they knew they were going to die. But they couldn't. Because the Holy Spirit had stopped convicting them anymore. The Holy Spirit wasn't there anymore. They had rejected them too many times. It was impossible for them to get saved, and they knew it. So as we go further in this, Father... O'Grady's first recorded victim was Nancy Sloan, some 30 years ago. Yet all he was ordered to do at the time was to write a letter explaining his actions. Soon after this, he was moved from Lodi to Turlock, I think this is in California, although no one in Turlock was warned about his past or his dangerous affliction, and he was caught again there, he was transferred to Stockton, then once again to San Andreas, where he was actually received a promotion for his work. We're going to talk about a guy that received a promotion today who was a pedophile, Catholic priest. We're going to talk about this a lot more. And you may know him. Stay tuned. In Deliver Us From Evil, Berg managed to get an extremely unsettling interview with O'Grady himself. I saw part of this interview. It was sick. Okay, not to say he was going into graphic detail, but it was enough. You know, I just saw a clip of it on this trailer. This interview, which... 
Amy Berg contrasts with the tragic stories of the three of his victims and some longtime friends and supporters of O'Grady who are unaware of his crimes. See, they're actually interviewing the victims as well. Also exposes the deep corruption within the Catholic Church in this particular episode. Although the documentary all but blows the lid off their PR, public relations, denials, and dismiss complaints and shows the bare bones of what happened in the case, one of many we, should, we shouldn't forget. Well, we just, we just read, didn't we just read today that they got a $1.5 billion you know, payout potentially pending here? And they've already, they are, they're already liquidating $4 billion worth of all, their, all of their assets for these potential payouts, for this big cover-up? This shouldn't be a matter of money. This should be a matter of this, this wicked organization shouldn't have any right on this planet to exist. I mean, it's one thing if you're a cult, and you're just a cult, and you're influencing this certain circle of people, but this cult is going far beyond the law in so many different ways. Pedophilia. It's illegal. This is illegal stuff. We know what the Bible says about it. I mean, it... You know, it's just unbelievable what, they, what they're getting away with. So how many priests and bishops are homosexual? Now, this article is from Catholic Apologetics International. You cannot accuse me of being biased. You cannot accuse me of saying, Oh, you just don't like Catholics. This is from Catholic Apologetics International. Right off their website. Front page. Okay, front page. How many priests and bishops are homosexual? Richard Sype, a psychotherapist and former priest, has studied celibacy and sexuality in the priesthood for four decades. He has authored three books on the topic. He once estimated that 30% of the priesthood is homosexually oriented. Elsewhere, he is quoted as estimating that between 25 and 45% of American priests are homosexual in orientation. What an abomination from the pit of hell in the sight of God. That is unbelievable. I would, I would tend to think it was the higher numbers, personally, if the truth be known. So let's just say it's 40%. 40%. Wow. You know, and the Bible talks about in Romans 1 where it talks about, you know, men leaving men, burning after their, one another, and women leaving the natural use to their body, and how they will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, how they've been turned over to a reprobate mind, as we talked about earlier. talks about they that are effeminate will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that word effeminate is a little bit more encompassing than just homosexuality, but homosexuality many times is within that word as well. But men burning after men says it all in Romans 1. Being turned over to a reprobate mind. And these people who are reprobates, turned over to a reprobate mind, in the largest pseudo-Christian cult on the planet, are the actual heads of their given churches or whatever. What an abomination from the pit of hell. If now this is a quote, if they were if they were to eliminate all those who are homosexually oriented, the number would be so staggering that it would be like an atomic bomb. It would do the same damage to the church's operation. Well, I that would be so wonderful if that were to happen. What a wonderful thing that would be to purge well, the, but the problem is, is, is the whole head's sick in the Catholic Church. The whole head's sick. It wouldn't matter. Even if they got rid of the pedophiles, there'd be more to replace them. It'd just be a matter of time before the same thing would happen right over again. The head's sick. And if the head's sick, the body's going to be sick. 
It would mean the resignation of at least a third of the bishops of the world. A third of the bishops. Now those are higher than the priests. And it's very much against the tradition of the church. Many saints had a gay orientation and many, many, many of maybe who they they determine as saints had a gay orientation and many popes had gay orientations. Discriminating against orientation is not going to solve the problem. End of quote. Oh, well, what, what is going to solve the problem then? Whoever wrote this Richard Sipe guy, psychotherapist and former priest. The whole religion needs to go. Now, I'm not advocating go out in there and taking up arms or anything. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying from a spiritual standpoint, this organization is an abomination from the pit of hell. Then there's a guy named Robert Sungis on a, it's called Sex, Lies, and Videotape, whatever, evidently some documentary. During a press conference in Rome on April 24, 2002, the president of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, Bishop Wilton Gregory, was interviewed regarding the homosexual problem in the Catholic Church. His own, in his own words, he said, it is an ongoing struggle to make sure that the Catholic priesthood is not dominated by homosexual men. That is from Newsweek, May 6, 2002, page 23. The implications of this statement are obvious. Since struggles implies victories and defeats, then not only have homosexuals established themselves in the Catholic priesthood, but they have at one time or another dominated the priesthood. Not surprisingly, the statistics reported by Newsweek bear out the allusion to the dominated, since between 35 and 50% of Roman Catholic priests are homosexuals. This is another thing that they quoted. So this one is saying between 35 and 50%. Now, think about this too. If you were a pedophile, what better place to go? You could go look real religious, everybody would respect you, and, and you, could, you could molest the kiddies. Isn't that special? I mean, what an abomination from the pit of hell. But a, a lot of pedophiles gravitate to this abominable cult for that very reason. If the truth be known. I mean, do you think a pedophile has any kind of scruples? Do you think a pedophile would say, I'm, oh no, I'm above that? A pedophile wouldn't be above anything. The facts show that there is 20 times as much homosexuality as is there is pedophilia. The whole structure of the many seminaries and many chancery offices promotes it and protects it. So in other words, the pedophilia is just a is yes, it's an issue. But he's saying there's 20 times more homosexuality. Well, I don't know how he could possibly know that for sure. I mean, what are you going to do? Like, you're going to get an honest interview from a pedophile priest or homosexual? But what he's saying is that homosexuality is so rampant within the Catholic priesthood that um, it's a lot more prevalent than even the pedophilia issue. Which he's probably right. What is also disheartening are some of the attitudes of individual Catholics. Newsweek reports that fully one half, 51% of Catholics, say they would attend a church with an openly gay priest. Knowing that these priests many times are molesting maybe the same kids, maybe their own kids. How could they say that? What kind of stinking parents would say something like that? 44% are in favor of gay marriages. This is the Catholic Church. 39 would accept a gay priest in a committed relationship. 56 are in favor of allowing gays and lesbians to adopt children. But they're still good Catholics. That, that's all that matters. You know, that's all that matters, right? Where, where, where did this come from? It was from Newsweek again, uh, May 6th, 
2002, page 25 and 29. So if true, these statistics are appalling. Mark Jordan, a professor of religion at Emory University and a gay Catholic, states, quote, if there were no homosexuals in the priesthood, we would soon cease to have a functioning church. End of quote. That was from Newsweek, May 6, 2002, page 26. Actual surveys. In the fall of 1999, the Kansas City Star sent a questionnaire to 3,000 priests in the U.S. 73% did not reply. Oh, I wonder why. So let me say that again. Kansas City Star sent a questionnaire to 3,000 priests in the U.S. 73% of these 3,000 priests did not reply. The low response rate could be anticipated. One would expect homosexuals and bisexuals to be reluctant to respond to the questionnaire since it deals with such a sensitive issue and originated from a newspaper. A homosexual and bisexual priest would probably be less likely to reply to the survey. Among the 801 priests that did reply, 75% said they had heterosexual orientation, 15% said they were homosexual, and 5% bisexual. According to Amanda Ripley, so, but 73% didn't even reply. <laughs> you know, I mean, and you really think you're going to get an, I mean, when, when the chips are down, you really think you're going to get an honest answer? And something like that? I don't think so. According to Amanda Ripley of Time Magazine, estimates range from 15 to 50%. According to Bill Blakemore of ABC News, nobody knows what the percentage of the American priesthood is gay. Estimates range from 10 to more than 30. An NBC report on celibacy and clergy found that anywhere from 23 to 58% of Catholic clergy have a homosexual orientation. Author and so socialist James G. Wolfe estimated that 48.5% of priests were gay. During 1990, Reverend, Reverend Thomas Crangle, a Franciscan priest in Pasick, New Jersey, mailed a survey to 500 randomly selected priests. Of the 398... Now, this is a guy who was a, who was a reverend and a Franciscan priest mailed a survey to 500, 500 randomly selected priests, probably with, their, with the guarantee that their identities are going to be protected. Not like the, the Star, that, that newspaper, the Star's not going to... The Kansas City Star's not going to offer that. So they would be more willing to trust if it was a survey from a Franciscan priest. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, now this is from the Catholic Church. This Franciscan priest, he said, of the 398 responses to the 500 that were sent out, 45% said they were gay. Openly! If we assume that all the estimates are of equal validity, then about 33% of priests have a homosexual orientation, or about one in three, and I think it's higher than that. However, as Father Donald Cozen states, beyond these estimates, of course, are priests who remain confused about their orientation, and men who have so successfully denied their orientation. See, there's a lot of people that are never going to admit it to the day they die. It's not going to matter what you do. Like a pedophile is going to have scruples. Or, or a homosexual person. I mean, I'm sorry, but there is a there is a level of demonic possession with this. When 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 you're when you're a homosexual, okay. And I'm not saying God cannot deliver you from that from that, okay. There's few. I think there's some, but the Bible says, you know, I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. But it's few, very few, because again, if you get turned over to a reprobate mind. You know, that's not a good thing. I don't think at that point it is possible. But 
there's a lot of people that have been abused by priests, and with this abuse, particularly through the act of sodomy, what is what has happened is is that is one of the main tools that people in the occult use in order to basically demonically infest somebody. It's well known. We're going to talk about that a little more. It's well known in the occult if you study it. This is why they try to defile children. And the younger they can defile them, the better. Because the sooner they get defiled, the better. The sooner they're corrupted, the better. Then they grow up corrupted. And it's like a seed that you plant. And if it's a corrupt seed, it's going to bear corrupt fruit. Okay, now, again, I'm not, I'm not wanting to condemn anybody that, that might be listening, because I got an email this week from somebody. He thought I was condemning him um, along these lines. Okay, saying that, that, that basically he was, I, I think he was thinking that I was saying he could never get saved. And I'm not saying that, okay? All things are possible through the Lord. The Bible says, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? No, there's not. But I'm just saying, statistically, proportionately speaking, it's rare that you see it. But I'm not saying it can't happen, okay? Because I don't want to put God in a box. But when this happens to these children, um, it's a very, very, very hard thing because of the demonic exchange that takes place. And then typically there's nobody that they can turn to, and they grow up with all this repressed... um, feelings and memories and things of this nature and then probably a lot of uh, pent-up anger and who knows what else. I can't even imagine. I can't even... My, my heart goes out to them. I pray to God they all be saved but I know that, that unfortunately uh, for the most part that's not usually what happens. Now, in this same battle cry that we started out with from Chick Publications he ends, he ends the battle cry for this month by saying this. This is Jack Chick, a personal message. He says, Dear Ones in Christ, today I watched a video documentary entitled Deliver Us from Evil. That's what we just talked about, okay? This was the second person I heard on the same day said they watched this. And this was a confirmation to me that I needed to do this this teaching. This is how a lot of times the Lord will do things. The Bible says out of the mouth of two or three uh, witnesses, a thing is established. Well, I already had two witnesses on this. Actually, three, I think. So today I watched the video documentary entitled Deliver Us from Evil. I was stunned by the time it ended. I was sick, angry, sad, and so sorry for those precious, faithful Roman Catholics who believe with all their hearts that Rome, the Pope... I don't know if I would go that far. Uh, You know, I'm sorry. (laughs) He's acting as though... You know, I don't know. I I just have a hard time sometimes the way he words things. The faithful Roman Catholics who believe with all their hearts that Rome, the Pope, the Eucharist, and the Virgin Mary will guide them, hopefully, into heaven eventually. It doesn't mean I don't want them to get saved. But I have a certain amount of righteous indignation over what they've done with Jesus Christ. And I think Jesus Christ does too. Okay, no matter what their excuse, I, I just, I have a hard time with, with uh, sometimes the way that, that, that he tends to word things. Mary will guide them hopefully into, in, they, they're hoping that Mary will guide them hopefully into heaven eventually. I saw the rage that swept over the shattered father when he realized that a visiting priest had violated his five-year-old daughter while a guest at their house. It was devastating. Now this is this preacher, this, this priest we were just talking about, Father O'Grady. Okay? And they interview this guy. And he's honest in the interview. And they interview his victims. You talk about a documentary that, that, you know, 
will shake you up. Back when Dr. Alberto Rivera was alive and worked with me on our Alberto series um, comic books, Crusader comic books, he told me of the rampant homosexuality within the priesthood. I made reference to this and was soundly condemned by my brethren. Alberto said, Alberto also told me that one of his assignments as a Jesuit priest was to investigate what they call working priests. These were priests assigned to work in large factories to assist in the spiritual guidance. On one occasion, he was sent with a fellow Jesuit to Krakow, Poland, and he was shocked to see the way the workers shamefully treated the priests. They threw their oily rags at him and made ugly comments to him. When Alberto confronted the workers for their dis disrespectful actions, he was told they hated him because they couldn't keep him away from our little boys. This priest, okay, in Krakow, Poland, that was working at this factory. That's why they treated him like such dirt. Alberto said that the, that the priest's name was Wo Jatila. He later became Pope. I was speechless. Is it any wonder that this Pope protected Cardinal Law and others involved in sex scandals? Who are we talking about? Pope John Paul II? Him and Pope Benedict both have, have, have protected already. Benedict's already protected all these people in these, these sex scandals. It's well known. Just do a keyword search on the internet. Pope John Paul, before he was called Pope John Paul, his full name was Carol, spelled with a K, Joseph, J-O-Z-E-F, Wojtyla, W-O-J-T-Y-L-A. They called this guy Wojtyla. This was the guy that ended up becoming the Pope. If the head is sick, then the whole body is going to be sick. We're going to talk about this more. Beloved, the Bible is so right calling that institution the great whore. In Revelation 17 and 18, we've tried our best to reach the precious Catholics, Roman Catholics, but we have had much resistance by many brethren who are evangelicals, who have ignorantly embraced the lost Roman Catholics as their brothers and sisters. We've talked a lot about this lately. We talked about the National Council of Churches last week that have come out and, and, and affirmed that the Catholic Church is the one true church. I mean, they said it. They said it in their... I mean, you could go up to their website. Yes, they're the one true church. They've, they've reaffirmed that, but... We still can have some dialogue with them. I mean, you know, we, we, they can still throw us some crumbs. And since we're going to come underneath them in the near future under the Antichrist and form the One World Whore Church, we've got to start making inroads to this dialogue now. I mean, we don't just want to wait till the last minute. We want to kind of start, you know, placating them now. This whorish institution that's responsible for 60 to 70 million deaths and all this pedophilia and all these people that are burning in hell right now. Why, why, should this, why should this institution deserve anything on the order of respect? It's an abomination in, from the pit of hell, in the sight of God. And it's straight from hell. This is Satan's religion. We've tried our best, uh, then it goes on to say, the ecumenical movement makes it very hard to reach them for Christ. Many have tried to discredit Alberto's testimony, forcing Christian bookstores to stop selling the Alberto series. But that has not stopped its power. Now, you can order this Alberto series from Chick Publications. Remember, it's www.chick, 
C-H-I-C-K.com. We receive testimonies all the time from precious Roman Catholics who have gotten saved and come out of that bondage. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Because that is some serious bondage that they're in. And I praise the Lord Jesus Christ for every Roman Catholic that gets converted. Many would first get mad claiming that Alberto was attacking their religion. And then the Holy Spirit would open their eyes and draw them to truth. If you watch Deliver Us From Evil, you will see what we printed was true. Now, if you... Um, I'll be sending this email out, and I'll give you a link to go to the trailer, and you can actually buy the DVD on their site. Uh, the, they, they're selling it right now. Handout tracks like Why Is Mary Crying, Death Cookie, Last Rites, and Are the Roman Catholics Christians? And I highly advise, these are great tracks. I've even went to Catholic churches before, um, and we've put them on the cars while they were in the service. I did that at, at the old high school. I, I went to a Catholic high school. This was way before I was ever saved. But I went back to my old Catholic high school and we were putting the tracks on there between services and stuff. Because, you know, they have such short little services, like these little sermonettes or whatever they have, like 45 minute sermons. you got to be quick, you know. Once they catch on to you, though, they'll patrol the parking lot. I've done this at Masons too. You can you can go in. They Chick Track has tracks for Masons, and you can go in there and uh, while the Masons are in session, and uh, you know if if you got somebody that's proficient with you, you know two two men can cover a parking lot pretty quick. So you can you can do stuff like that. You know they'll love you for it. I got caught the last time I tried doing it, but praise the Lord, they let us out and it was all fenced in. I thought they were like gonna take us in there and do some ritual sacrifice. Of us or something, you know, at the Masons. Maybe sacrifices sacrifices to either the goat of Mendez or maybe Baphomet or Baal or maybe Jabulon. I don't know, any of their, you know, Masonic pagan deities. But yeah, you can do you can do this stuff. Um, the Chick Tracks will afford you opportunities, niche opportunities, that you wouldn't normally have. And there's hardly anybody doing it anymore. From what I've seen, uh, I don't put out tracks like I used to. But I still try to always carry some with me because you never know when the Lord may open that door. Um, there's very few people anymore that seem to really want the truth. But that doesn't mean we still shouldn't try to put it out. Uh, because, um, you know, the blood's going to be off your hands, essentially. So, these are tracts that you can give to Roman Catholics. Why is Mary crying? The death cookie, which talks about the, uh, the wafer... God, the thing we were talking about last week with the Eucharist, last rites, and our Roman Catholics Christians. And then they've got an all, also another one on the King James Bible. I forget what it's called, but it's it's not in one of their ones that they're currently set. You have to order it, I think, in bulk, but it's a really, really good track on the King James Bible, and it goes to show how the Roman Catholic Church uh, really tried to interfere with that whole process with the King James Bible. So you can back these tracks up with the Alberto comics. And then they've also got a ton of books in there that you can buy that are, that are written in regards specifically to the Roman Catholic religion. Do your best to win the Roman Catholics and to open their eyes and to leave that wicked system and come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, he... I guess Jack probably sees a lot more people getting converted than I do because I just don't see a lot of people getting 
converted, but he, he's at the head of this major track industry. So for him, you know, it's probably something maybe he sees on an everyday basis. People getting actually converted, which is awesome. Okay, so then the net, well, the last parts um, we go on to, we're going to talk a little bit more about Pope John Paul. This article was by a guy named Tony Bushby, and it was entitled Pope John Paul's Past Employment. Now, this is before he was ever a priest, was ever a, a pedophile Catholic priest. He was a Zyklon B salesman for Nazi Germany. Did you know that? Okay, so we're going to talk about Pope John Paul now. In his book, Behold a Pale Horse, former naval, U.S. Naval Intelligence Officer William Cooper relates a story associated with IG Farben Chemical Company. Now, if you want to know about IG Farben more, which is basically the start of all the modern-day pharmaceutical industries worldwide, including America, you know, email me. I'll get you some information on that. But IG Farben employed a guy... Um, uh, in, the, in the early 1940s, IG Farben Chemical Company employed a Polish salesman who sold cyanide to the Nazis for use, for use in Auschwitz, the death camps. The salesman, Carol J. Wojtyla, who then became you know, Pope John Paul II, as we know him, also worked as a chemist in the manufacture of the poison gas. The same cyanide gas, along with the Zyklon B and Malathion, was used to exterminate millions of Jews and other groups. Their bodies were then burned to ashes in ovens. After the war, the salesman, fearing for his life, joined the Catholic Church and was ordained a priest in 1946. One of his closest friends was Dr. Wolf Shamunis, the mastermind behind the November 1978, October 1979, and March 1980, October 81 experimental hepatitis B vaccine trials conducted by the Center for Disease Control in New York, San Francisco, and four other American cities that loosed the plague of AIDS upon the American people. Oh, now you're really going off the deep end. Well, I'll tell you what. Get Len Horowitz's video or book called Emerging... Uh, what is it called? Emerging Diseases or Emerging... Uh, I forget the name. Anyway, Len Horowitz. Now, don't subscribe to his religious views, okay? Because he's into some crazy stuff. But as far as documenting what happened with the hepatitis B vaccine during the late 70s, early 80s, and how that is what spread AIDS, and that AIDS was a, was a laboratory-created disease, okay? There's nobody that does a better, better documentation than, than Len Horowitz that I've ever seen. He's got the documentation to prove it. He's, a, he's an MD. He's a dentist. And uh, emerging viruses is what it's called. AIDS, Ebola, and whatever. But anyway, you can get that online. You might even be able to... A lot of these things that I'm talking about, many times if you go into Google Video and you put in the words, and sometimes you have to put them in quotes to be a little more specific, you can a lot of times find it and watch it right online. I, I found one of my, my speeches online at Google Video the other day. Somebody had taken my, my Mark of the Beast... Uh, thing we just did a few weeks back and they put it up on Google Video with my picture as I'm talking and my picture's on the screen and it, and it says it says um, what does it say John Scottson that was my name right in the center of the screen John Scottson <laughs> I was like well hey it was close to Scott Johnson I don't know it's, it's not a big but I didn't really like the 666 behind my head I, I, I kind of had a problem with that you know, you know I, I got my picture up there John Scottson, and then a big 666 behind me. Uh, 
But anyway, I, I understand what he's trying to do, but yeah, it kind of wasn't wasn't too wild about that. But you know, hey, it's it's up there. What are you gonna do? Well, the reason I ended up putting that out, I actually put that out to my email list just so they could see it, because it was like a ten minute trailer kind of, and then then the whole talk. There was a man on my on my email list that told me he was going to put it up there. I thought he had put it up there, and I found out later it wasn't even him. He says, "Oh, I can't put it up now. I don't want to reproduce somebody else's work." I said, "I think you could do it a lot better." <laughs> you know, it was it wasn't really wild with the way they put it up there. But anyway, um, I'm just happy the the information's out there. Now, if, if people come out and saying that I'm the Antichrist now because I had the six 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 behind me, I hope that's not going to happen. Okay, I mean, I am not the chief candidate. Okay. I'm fighting him. I'm not one of the chief candidates. But anyway, yes, this guy said that they, um, the salesman was ordained Poland's youngest bishop in 1958. Now, this is Pope John Paul II we're talking about here. And then after a 30-day reign, his predecessor was assassinated, and our ex-cyanide gas salesman assumed the papacy as Pope John Paul II. Now, again, that was a quote from, from Behold a Pale Horse by William Cooper, uh, a uh, William Cooper was a U.S. Naval Intelligence officer, and he paid for this information with his life. He was he was essentially assassinated for getting this information out there, and he knew he was going to be assassinated. It was just pretty much a matter of time. Uh, this was from uh, the book was produced in 1991, and it was taken from page 89 through 90. So. This is this is um, some of the history we have going on here. Now, the last thing I'm going to talk about is an article by a guy named Malachi Martin. And he was a Jesuit. And from 1958 until 1964, Malachi Martin served in Rome as a Jesuit priest, where he chose, where he was close, was a close associate of, and carried out many sensitive missions for the renowned Jesuit Cardinal Augustine B. and Popes John the 13th and and Paul the 6th released afterwards from his vows of poverty and obedience at his own request but still a priest he ultimately moved to New York and became a best-selling writer of fiction and non-fiction Martin has made explicit reference to the to the diabolical rite held in Rome in his 1950 in his 1990 non-fiction bestseller about the geopolitics and the Vatican, The Keys of the Blood, in which he wrote, quote, this is from this, this former Jesuit priest, most frighteningly for Pope John Paul II, he had come up against the immovable presence of the malign strength of his own Vatican and in certain bishops' chanceries. It was what knowledgeable churchmen called the superforce. Rumors always difficult to verify tied its installation to the beginning of Pope Paul VI's reign in 1963. Indeed, Paul had alluded somberly to the smoke of Satan which had entered the sanctuary, an oblique reference to an enthronement ceremony by Satanists in the Vatican. Besides the incidents of satanic pedophilia, rites and practices was already documented among certain bishops and priests as widely as dispersed as Turin in Italy and South Carolina in the United States, the cultic acts of satanic pedophilia are considered by professionals to be the accumulation of the fallen angelic rites. End of quote. This is on page 632 of the book I just referenced. Now, I said all that to say this. 
We talked a lot today about the pedophilia and the problem here. Well, well, what about, you know, we said the head was sick, right? Well, do you think this is just some kind of isolated thing and it's just, you know, happening to, the, to these priests because they're forced to be celibate and all? No, you know, there's a much, much larger spiritual component that's never really, really talked about. But if you think Rome, you know, they're going to be the great whore and, and, and really Satan is, is on the throne of that church... Well, then there's got to be a lot of really, really wicked things going on, you know, in the Vatican and things like this. And satanic pedophilia is basically a part of high-level occultism. It's part of that religion, okay? Because Satanism is a religion. The cultic acts of satanic pedophilia are considered by professionals to be the accumulation of the fallen angelic rites. Well, didn't, didn't Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man? Well, what were they doing in the days of Noah? What was the biggest thing? Well, yeah, it was wicked and evil, but the sons of God had saw the daughters of men that they were fair. And they took all of them wives that they chose. And from, this, and from these, this offspring, we have the giants, the men of renown, the Nephilim, the fallen ones, okay? So, the Bible said it was going to be that, that it was in the days of Noah, it's going to be that way this day. Well, now we come back to this, and it's the accumulation of the fallen angelic rites. Pedophilia. Because there's no, probably not a whole lot greater abomination in God's eyes than defiling a little child. So, anyway, I just wanted to kind of throw that in there to give you a little bit of confirmation. These allegations have largely gone unnoticed, possibly because Martin was so crafty in his descriptions that he might have even been referring to the coronation of Pope John Paul the sixth, or Pope Paul the sixth, but he revealed much more about the alleged ritual in one of his latest works, Windswept House, a Vatican novel. This was in 1996. In his story, he vividly described a diabolical ceremony called, quote, the enthronement of the fallen angel Lucifer, end of quote, supposedly held in St. Paul's Chapel within the Vatican, but linked with the concurrent satanic rites here in the United States on June 29, 1963, barely a week after the election of Paul VI. In this novel, before he dies, a pope leaves a secret account of the situation on his desk for the next occupant of the throne of Peter, thinly disguised John Paul II. According to the New American, Martin confirmed that the ceremony did indeed occur as he had described. He says, quote, Oh yes, it's true, very much so. The magazine reported, he said, quote, But the only way I could put that down in print is in a novelistic form. End of quote. Now this is the way a lot of people are forced to write in a almost a novelistic form so that they can actually get the truth out because if they came right out with it, maybe they would be sued for libel. I don't know. But guaranteed, that's going on and a whole lot more, what I just described there. So that was part one of our teaching today. We're going to go ahead and stop here and go to part two now.